Hi, I'm Sanera Madani, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a billion dollar business. Yes, a billion dollar business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit 1 million in revenue. And I became obsessed on a mission to change that. I believe that there is so much gatekeeping in business knowledge and that we as female entrepreneurs should be learning from other female founders and leaders who have broken the statistics. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way, but you shouldn't have to because we believe that you deserve to have it all. And honestly, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CEO School podcast. I'm your host, Sanira Madani, and we are still in New York City. I'm sure the last episode you heard all of the sirens and the honking and the busy streets of New York, but we are so happy to be here in East Olivia's studio just recording this amazing series that we're doing. And I I know you enjoyed last week's episode because that conversation was so incredible, so, so, so incredible with Sally of Argent. And I just literally feel so revved up from that conversation. And with that, we have another just incredible founder in the room, somebody that I have known recently over the last two, three years, but I've actually been wearing her clothes before she blew up. So I do want to say that on record. Um, I'm here with Mega Rao of Holy Chic by Mega. Uh, her brand is a South Asian inspired brand. Um, and she was just a daughter of proud immigrants who was exhausted of trying to figure out to, you know, her fashion and her style, but really, you know, showing her identity and her Indian roots as well as her Western, her Western roots as well. And so she created a line of clothes that is just incredible. And I resonate so strongly with that brand because I too, as a daughter of immigrants, of Pakistani immigrants, you know, South Asian heritage as well, had so many functions and things to always attend to, but never felt always, you know, like, you know, what I wanted to wear wasn't exactly reflective of who I was as Sneera until I found this really cute Instagram account that somebody sent me to say, Sneera, I think you're gonna love this boutique stuff. And I did, I ordered it and it was just exactly what I wanted, you know, for like some events that I had coming up. And since then, I've just been friends with Mega online and in person and just been following her journey. But it's been so exciting to see the trajectory of this brand and what this brand actually means and and just seeing South Asian women win and to be able to walk into a store like Nordstrom and to see clothes that you feel comfortable in and that you feel proud of and that your daughters can see and have that true identity as both, you know, both and. And so, Mega, welcome to CEO School. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. I'd love for the audience to just get to know you a little bit, mm-hmm. share with us your background, how you got started. I know you had a crazy corporate past before this. So, yes. you know, spare no details. Tell us how did this brand get inspired and, you know, onto shelves at Nordstrom? Yeah, I mean, I think you you really touched on it, right? It comes down to identity. And I think for me, growing up as a daughter of immigrants, I always felt a sense of void. I didn't really belong to one world. I was an American. I was also Indian. And I felt like the only way that really resonated with me to express myself 
was fashion and style. Yeah. And I started creating my own clothing at a very young age. I was probably six or seven years old, mixing and matching my mom's saris with my jeans and leather and just putting together looks that made me feel like I had a belonging and a sense of identity. And fast forward, let's call it another 25 years, I started putting that into play and creating pieces for my friends and family and selling it to them while working in corporate finance. So I worked in corporate finance for 15 years. And while I was there, my side hustle was building this brand, putting together looks, selling them to friends and family. And it just started taking off through word of mouth, a little bit through social media back then, um, which now eventually became Holy Chic um, in 2015. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, honestly, so many of the women that have that I've recently interviewed have all had finance backgrounds. <laughs> yes. I actually also graduated in finance, by the way. Um, but I actually went to created a fintech. But it's it's really amazing to see like you know, although we're pursuing some of these careers, when you have that side hustle, I'd love for you to talk about having a side hustle because I think that the side hustle is like such a great way to you know, not only pursue some of like the passions that you have or the ideas to really give you a ground to play with before actually having to make the jump and, you know, taking that leap into like fully going in all in as an entrepreneur um, and being able to explore that further while having a steady paycheck. So I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit about what was that like side hustle experience like, or do you look back and when did you know that it was like time to go all in? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. You know, I, um, I tell a lot of people that, Having a corporate job is so beneficial in so many ways because there's it's something that it's translatable. You can take it with you anywhere that you go. Until this day, running my business, I use my finance skills, yep. marketing, management. I mean, there's so many things that I've carried through now as an entrepreneur. And I feel like I did this for seven years, built the company for seven years while I was in, in corporate. And it gave me my opportunity to fail to succeed, Mm. to learn. And I was able to make mistakes without the pressure of a paycheck. And I think that's the beauty of being able to to balance both things, right? You're able to test a little bit more where you don't have these constraints of maybe an investor or money. Like you you can't take these big risks, right? If you're just doing something out of from from scratch. So that is the benefit. And I tell everyone, you know, yes, it took me seven years while raising a family. Would I have wished that it happened sooner? Sure. But do I regret it? No, because I feel like the timing was just right. And I feel like because of all the experience that I had, I was able to now find the success I needed in my company. I love that. That's such great advice. And I fully agree with that. I think one of the things I'm scared most for is I think entrepreneurship is so sexy that, you know, even like people don't want to have like the corporate, the corporate experience is actually not valued, I I feel. And I do think it's so important to get that on your resume, to go build, to go work for different companies, to climb up that corporate ladder. And yes, it's painful and yes, it's brutal. And yes, it's not, you know, it's 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 not as like fast or quick or you don't feel hard. like there's so many, you know, challenges that come with it for sure. However, there's so much like you learn. That's like that is how you learn and exactly. you grow. And I will 100 percent say I had roughly I think about five years in, you know, in corporate, in the corporate space before I started my company, which isn't a ton, but I'm so grateful for the companies that I worked for, the jobs that I had, because they 100% prepared me um, as like, you know, 
from a professional level standpoint of showing up on time, right? Having totally. a boss, yeah. being accountable. Mm-hmm. Like when there's nobody there to hold you accountable totally. as an entrepreneur, like you have to you have to have discipline and having a corporate work experience gives you that discipline. 100%. And it's so, so important. And then to your second point about the side hustle, and yes, it took seven years, but all good things take time. Mm -hmm. And so it's such a myth that people think that businesses are built in this like overnight success. And like now everyone knows your name or now everyone sees a brand or now everyone sees whatever. And that just happened immediately because of some like viral thing or something. And, exactly. and, and yeah, that does take place now on social media, but those brands don't last. They live only in that moment. But successful companies that are built are built, you know, incrementally. Like right? Sustainable. And sustainable. Mm-hmm. So I love that we're talking about this. And I and I do think that for those, like, you know, our audience is primarily all entrepreneurs, but we definitely have women who are, like, that have not taken that leap fully yet, right? So they are probably still working a corporate job and, and also pursuing their side hustle. Um, what advice, like, when did you know yeah. it was time to go all in? Okay, so that's, it's very tricky. Yeah. And I have to be honest, it was one of the most difficult decisions I ever had to make. It's just scary. It's very scary, especially when you're a mom and you have children and there's people relying on you and you have a more, there's a lot of variance. And so what I can say is it all comes down to the numbers, right? When at the end of the day, believe it or not, even though I was in finance, numbers were not my strength. And I knew that, right? When, when it comes to like profit margins and understanding growth and trajectory, these are things that I wouldn't say necessarily are a strong point of mine. So I hired somebody at that when I was, you know, just on the cusp of about to make this big decision, I had someone come in, took a look at my books, took a look at the profit margins. Is there actually something here that I can take full time? We did all the analytics. We looked at every single, you know, every single number, every single product. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. In order for you to quit, these are the five things that you need to do. And we started working on a plan. And so I feel like, you know, sometimes when you're on your own and you're about to make this big decision, you need to ask for help and support. And sometimes that's a friend. Sometimes that could be in your immediate circle. You don't have to go out there and hire like some, you know, crazy experienced CFO to do it all the time. It's just somebody that you trust that you can rely on, that can help you see things that you may not have seen with your own eyes and see a different perspective. And so that's when I knew, when I had this conversation with Sachin, who is now my CFO, who said, Meg, these are the things that we need to improve. Let's do this together. He's still with me today, three and a half years later. And he was the reason that I felt the confidence, I felt empowered that I'm making the right decision because I had the data and the support to make that decision. I love that. Something that I we always say, Sal and I, my brother and I, uh, we say fact plus gut, right? And so I think that gut is one of the, the most, the strongest tool that you have as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And you have to trust your gut. And especially as women, our intuition is actually much stronger. Right. And we we need to like leverage, you know, that feeling I'm like looking in the camera, like, you know, that feeling like when you get that feeling in your gut and you know it's right, you have to be able to trust it. And sometimes I feel like truly gut sometimes is enough if you don't are you not able to get the facts and you ha- you don't have the tools. That's the one tool I would say. Just trust that tool, whether it comes to hiring, whether it comes to firing, whether it comes to partnership, whether it comes to investors, friends, the decision that like the, all the decisions mm-hmm really checking in with what the gut says is so important. However, the magic happens when you have fact plus gut. So when you have gut and then you could back it with data, 
right? And you can back it to say, yes, this is what my gut's feeling. I want to validate that this is what my gut is totally. feeling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. Like I have, you know, I interview this. I'm so blessed to be able to interview women like as part of my job. And I get to meet so many incredible women in business. But one of the things that I hear often, right, is the fact that, you know, numbers are scary or we're not, you know, I do feel like I don't have the, you know, the, although I'm a finance major, I don't feel confidence mm-hmm. like in the numbers. And I actually think that, you know, that's, how it's because how we were like the patriarchy and how we were raised and and it's because we were taught that we're not good at math and even though you are a finance major yeah. <laughs> you still felt that you weren't good enough to understand your numbers which is probably not the case however i do love that you said ask for help in building the right team around you to support you but getting that data is so important and not running away from those numbers because it is important as early as we can to create a business where we have the right data sets and getting the right KPIs and the right forecasting and the right plan. And although it sounds like big and scary and hairy, it doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. right? But having that pulse and and making sure that you have the right people around you to support you or getting the right mentors or getting the right tools, that decision-making with data yep. plus gut is where the magic happens. I love so that. I'm I, not going to forget that. <laughs> I really, really love that you said that. It's something that Sal and I always says, but he always says, I'm gut and he's, he's like, he's, he's the facts. Yeah. But recently it's actually, it's actually changed. It's actually pretty interesting. We're working on our uh, next, you know, startup. And I feel like his like intuition has been like, my, you know, I think maybe because I've like, I, I came from a place of when you do it the first time, I think one of the the things I look back at my success and I'm like, I wish I could stay as naive as I was when I started, mm. you know? And I think that that was like part of the, 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 the unknown that you don't know and you're like able to take more risks. Right. And now that I've done it and I'm like, holy shit, do I have to like, I'm doing it again. And so like, although like, I'm like, I'm like almost being more risk averse this time yeah. than I was the the first time around. But <laughs> that naivete is so important in the journey. Um, but you were calculated. So you, you know, you weren't all in. I was definitely, I'm definitely, like, I definitely shot from the hip, like early days. I quit my job immediately after like my bosses said no. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I've always been a lot more risk tolerant. Um, And I think I just came from a family that like my parents were definitely like very, um, like always pushed me to take risks Mm -hmm. and like almost uncomfortably of like, well, why not you? Like, you need to go do this. Like, and I, I like was like the opposite of like, wait, slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I remember like one of my earliest, my 17th birthday, like my dad taught me, like took me to the casino to like teach me how to play blackjack. Like, I don't know. Wow. Like, I should get in trouble <laughs> for saying that out loud on the show. But there is like correlation between risk taking and entrepreneurship and especially for girls as well, that we're not like, we need to be get comfortable on taking risks. Mm-hmm. And as you were calculated in that, but you still, you like had to make that bet on yourself. Totally. And you've got to know no matter what data, no matter what all the things are, we're not going to succeed if we're not going to actually at the end take that bet. Exactly. And yep. that ability is, I'm just, I'm so impressed. <laughs> so I'm so glad you took that bet. I love, I love where this conversation is. Okay. So you took the bet and I think a lot of women will really resonate with that, especially the ones that are they know it's really great and they just need that push. So let Mega's story be the <laughs> push. Please go for it. Yes, let's go for it. <laughs> take that bet. And so then what, right? So you take the bet. How did like the, you know, if you were to look back at the journey of, you know, and you're still in the journey, mm-hmm. right? What are some of like the lessons? Like you're like, man, I wish somebody told, like taught me this. Yeah. You know what? I'm learning every day and yeah. I have to be like 
very trans. I'm still making mistakes. Nothing has changed. Yeah. It's just that you feel this sense of freedom. You feel this sense of, I wake, you know, I, I was explaining this to somebody the other day. They're like, what does it feel like to like work for yourself? I'm like, do you know the term Sunday scaries and Monday, Monday yeah. morning blues? I'm like, that is eliminated for me. I wake up, I'm excited to work, right? Obviously there's risk. Even in your corporate job, there's a risk. You can, your job can be, you know, eliminated next, the next day. You're always in a situation of a challenge. I face challenges as an entrepreneur. It's no different. What challenge do you want? Do you mm -hmm. want the challenge of working for yourself and having a little bit of instability, a little bit of the unknown world? That's one challenge. Or do you want the corporate risk, right? There's, it's always there. And so I do, I'm continuing to learn every single day, but the beauty now obviously is the beauty of time. I'm able to dedicate so much more time to building this business, doing things I was not able to do before, like making content, like being you know front and center, being the face of the brand, being out there, promoting the company. And these are things that I just did not have the time to do when I was balancing two things. So I think sometimes people don't understand that just that one thing, being able to dedicate eight to 10 hours a day to building something that's so important to you, just imagine what that would do, right? Just having a couple more hours a day. So, you know, since the last three years, I mean, the company has, you know, obviously scaled. We, we have improved our profit margins. We've been able to operationalize the business, whereas before everything was very, it was made to order. And it was very, um, it was just, it was just not running the way that it is today as smoothly as it is. And we're now positioned to actually scale the company. Um, and so just very recently, we actually did um, a collaboration with Nordstrom, which never could have happened if I was still sitting in that corporate seat because you need you needed so much time to do that. Um, and so I've just been able to take the company to a new place, um, hiring the right people, growing the team, so many exciting things because I've been, you know, it's, it's all I do now. Um, so it's, it's really exciting. I mean, the scale, let's talk about scales because we talk about scale a lot on the show in particular. And, you know, Oper like exactly what you said, like there was probably a lot of manual things that were taking place. Mm -hmm. What are like the biggest like tips that you can give to entrepreneurs that are trying to get like smoother operations, like hiring the team per yes. se, right? Yes. What were some of like those key hires that you initially made that you're like, how did I function without like mm -hmm. these people? And like, what, what was that journey like in building the team as well? Yeah. So I'll start with, you know, this, my CFO that I was explaining to you is such an, like I explained to you, like you can't be good at everything. And sometimes as entrepreneurs, we tend to think that we can handle it all, right? As you're especially so also as a mother, like I'm like, I can do this. I, I've got it. And you can't. It's not physically possible to be good at everything. My strength is creativity. My strength is my eye. It's my design. And I have to spend my energy doing what I'm good at. And so I bring in people that, quote unquote, fill my void. Do They're good at the things that I'm mm -hmm. not good at, which is my CFO. He comes in, he looks at things and says, yeah, like it's great that it's a, a beautiful piece, but is it scalable, right? Your goal is to be able to take this company mainstream. You want everyone to be able to wear South Asian inspired clothing. Is this piece doing that? No? All right, we need to move on. You need you can't be emotionally connected mm. to the things that you make. And that's I something love that. that it's I wanna, true. I want to like I want to pause on that one for a <laughs> okay. second. Keep going. Yeah, so um to me that that's the thing. You need somebody to also give you a fresh perspective, give you a way to look at things in a new way where it's just not like this pretty piece of clothing. It's something that you can actually take and do something bigger with. And that's been a big learning for me because, of course, when you're creative, you are emotionally connected to anything that you put out in the world. So that's, so, yeah. It's like removing that emotion and having the team support you in that. And having those like key, those the important key people as well. Like I just love everything you said, especially about we can't do it alone. And I do think that as women, 
we have been doing it alone for so long that that is like even how we operate in our yep. business world. Exactly. And that's a huge part of stepping into your CEO. CEOs are, the, they're, you know, their job is not to be all the doers, right? They are the visionary. Mm -hmm. They are leading. They are doing the things that only like that bring that high level strategic value to the organization. And there are departments and heads and leaders that are doing like that are special like, are that specialized in right. the roles. The job of a CEO is not to be a specialist in mm -hmm. everything. The job of a CEO is to be the, you know, the leader and to lead the teams and to do that. And so I think it's so important at an early stage. Like one of the things that I wish I, that I stepped into my CEO a lot earlier than I did. And that's part of like the whole I didn't go to CEO school. Right. But there is no such thing. Right? That's, <laughs> that's the whole point of all of this. There is no such thing. We're learning as we're going. But what's like a critical like, can you like take me back to like a critical like lesson that you had to learn like the hard way that you want to save? Like we've got, you know, thousands of female entrepreneurs that listen to the show. Like yep. talk to her. Like what were some yeah. of your biggest mistakes? You're like, do not do this. Okay. I'll, I'll bring you back to the pandemic 2020 where this is where all the decision making was happening. Do I quit? Do I stay? Do I go? What do I do? And a lot of people are like, wait, you you left your corporate career during a global pandemic? And I said, yeah, and I'll tell you why. The pandemic forced me to think differently. I was creating clothing for weddings, mm -hmm. for events, extravagant you know, outfits, and all the events and parties were put on hold for years, right? And so... At that moment, I remember coming to my co-founder. I'm like, what are we going to do? Like, We have all these designs, all these clothes. There's no events taking place. Do we shut down or do we pivot? And luckily, we went with option B, which was pivot the entire company. And what that looked like was we started making things that people needed. During the pandemic, people needed face masks, right? They were home. They wanted loungewear. They wanted just like little things that could make them happy because everybody was just in this bubble. We were all just miserable and we just needed a little bit of happiness in our lives. And so from a company that was making gowns and saris and all these extravagant clothes, we pivoted and we started making things that were more lifestyle you know, related. Graphic t-shirts. We started you know, working with um, South Asian artists and creating these really beautiful graphic t-shirts and hoodies. And at that point, the business blew up. We started getting a huge influx of new customers that were coming to us for these face masks. And, you know, eventually those customers became my holy sheet customer, mm. where now when they did have events and, and weddings were back on, they said, let me let me go to holy chic and let me try, you know, ordering this outfit from them. And so what I'll say about this is like sometimes success is found in adversity where you're forced to think differently. You're forced out of this like comfortable bubble that you might be in. I would have never taken that risk had it not been for the circumstances that we were in. And it's the reason why I'm sitting here today. I love that. And I, I think, you know, Sally was actually talking about this earlier on the show on her pivot. Mm -hmm. Like she actually didn't want to pivot during the pandemic. It was like pulling out of the stores was like, you know, her journey. And mm -hmm. she chose not to create masks, actually. So she had like the like an, a different take on this. OK. But this the similarity in the pivot is that it's about it was about survival. Right. And it's about knowing your audience as well and what your audience needed. And I actually remember your brand during the time. And I didn't know I thought because I had ordered stuff that was for weddings and yeah. for events. And it was I actually wear most of your non like non-traditional wear. So I usually wear more of the Western stuff because mm -hmm. I'm always at 
like not necessarily like Indian weddings or Indian functions, but I just love wearing your stuff that I can bring into like my everyday wear that yes. makes me feel South Asian. Mm -hmm. And so I remember like I resonated with your brand from I was like, wait, they make other things besides like the fancy stuff mm -hmm. for like an Indian wedding. And so I do think it's like figuring out ways to also build community is also what I heard like for from Sally and from you like during the pandemic. But pivoting is I think the lesson that you're sharing of like you're going to be faced with adversity, like yep. figure it the fuck out. Exactly. Like that is what entrepreneurs do. And successful entrepreneurs, like if I look back at the last decade, um, I think Carlos, you're probably tired of like hearing this, me, me share this, um, <laughs> Carlos, our producer here. Um, but I would say like the reason that like successful entrepreneurs are successful, it, it's just because we figure it out. Like there's going to be challenges every single day. Mm -hmm. And as your business scales, although things are getting more streamlined and whatever, there's different challenges. Mm -hmm. Like new level, new devil. Always. How do you feel about that? Is, oh, that, is totally. that accurate in it's your so skill accurate. journey? It's so accurate. And there's always a solution. I think that's that's the thing, right? It's all about mindset. Of course, we're going to face obstacles. Of course, we're going to face challenges. But if you have the mindset that you can figure out a solution, yes. it may take you time. It may take you some back and forth. But when you have that mindset, you're unstoppable. Oh, my goodness. So speaking of mindset, uh, I do know that you are an incredible mother. And I love following your beautiful children on social media. Your fashionable family <laughs> is always so fun. Um, could you share with me a little bit about your journey as like, a, you know, a CEO and a mother and striking, you know, I don't think balance is real, but whatever we call it, work-life integration, yeah. family. But I know you prioritize your, you know, also being a mother. So just would love to hear about just, this, you know, the struggles, the, you know, the the support that you have. Mm -hmm. Like, how does it all work? I know you've got two kids under 10. Yeah. yeah. One's almost about to turn 10. But, you know, um, believe it or not, I formed my LLC and I registered for my business when my son was two months old. I was on maternity leave. I was home and I call him my blessing. I feel like he was my motivation. He was my inspiration to say, Meg, like this is your opportunity. You have these three months, you're home. You have, you're a brand new mom. What is the story I wanna tell my kids? What is the legacy I wanna leave? And inadvertently, I didn't realize it at that time, but he was my inspiration and he's the reason that this all really took off and I had the, the, the um, confidence to sit there and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this legit. The second that I registered the business and like typed in the name, I felt this sense of empowerment. I felt this sense of this is real and this is now something that you need to grow. And so my kids, um, a lot of people are like, oh, like your kids are a distraction and it's going to be so hard to balance all these different mm -hmm. things. But they're also the biggest motivation. Like what greater motivation than having your own little children watching what you do every day, being your cheerleaders, saying, wow, mom, you're in Nordstrom. Like I get to come there and see this. And like that joy, there is nothing that compares to it. There's nothing that motivates me more than my children. Oh, I love that. And I fully agree with that. And every mom here totally feels like there is no greater motivation than your kids. Like, and honestly, I, I was, we were flying over here with my, my best friend Helen's here. Um, and we had like three hours of plane time, which we like never get like quiet time, her and I. And we're like, we're working so hard. She's also an entrepreneur. She is a corporate lawyer um, that had a side hustle. So similar story oh, yeah. in terms of her brand. 
Um, and y'all will be hearing uh, from her on the show. You've already heard from her on the show, but you'll hear from her in the next several episodes. But one thing Helen and I were discussing, we're like, I hope our kids like don't fuck this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we work so hard yeah. to like now create this amazing legacy in life. And I think part, as a part of like immigrant children as well, we carry so much of our parents like journeys with us and their sacrifices. And I know that my kids are going to be okay, but like I maybe like their kids are going to fuck shit up because they're going to yeah. be so entitled. <laughs> But we're just like, I hope they don't like, like it's all for them. Yeah. So, but there is, there's no greater motivation. Um, and I, I just love that, that you shared that. And I think all mothers listening feel that and it's not easy. No. Um, and, and you know what it is? It's, um, it, it's also the balance. Like I was saying before, there's things that I'm not good at and I'm, and I am so okay where I wasn't in the past to raise my hand and say, I need help. And I do the exact same thing as a mother. To be very honest, I don't cook. I don't do my laundry. I hire people and I outsource whatever I can to give me time with my kids. That's number one priority and to, to grow my business. Everything else is secondary to me. And so anywhere that I can pull, anytime that I can raise my hand and ask for help, I'm not afraid to do that. I Thank you for sharing that. And I think that that is like such a huge myth about you don't have to do it all. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would say that, you know, one of the things I share often is like the thousand dollar task and the ten dollar task. Totally. And to me, you know, you know, obviously being with my the, the time with my kids is a thousand dollar task and the laundry is a ten dollar task. Mm -hmm. And so if I can find a way to only be doing the thousand dollar task, like that's where I need to be spending my time. And I know that also comes with privilege, right? Mm -hmm. That comes with, you know, being able to to um, to afford to be able to do yes. that. But at the same time, it I do think that there's a priority shift that also has to take place because it maybe it's not laundry every day. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's that one meal out. Maybe exactly. it's the, so you can start small, but it's definitely about shifting that mindset to say, what are the things that actually have to come off of my plate mm -hmm. that I can delegate what, do I, what are the things that I want to do? And what can I also absolutely delete? Right. And the delete thing is the ability to say no, right? And we as women are so horrible <laughs> at the word no. And in order for us to say yes to the things that we love, we have to be able to say no. Mm -hmm. And part of that is knowing your priorities. And I fully agree with you. Part of my, my three buckets, like the three things that I can focus on and everything else is a no. It's my family first. Yeah. And it's my business. And then for me, it's impact. Like this is really important to me. This is why I get to do this. Mm -hmm. But it's part, it's a priority in my life as well. But everything else is a no then. And it's hard. It's so hard to say no. But when you are hyper fucking focused, mm -hmm. then it just, it, it all makes sense. And you feel so much more aligned. And then you're able to achieve whatever, air quote, whatever that, there's not a bat, there's no such thing, balance is bullshit. But whatever <laughs> that, whatever that looks like, it's at least you're saying yes like it's a hell yes right. to those three things. 100%. Yep. And there's people that might enjoy cooking, right? There's yes. people that actually might find that yes. as an outlet. So don't let that go. Yes. Just figure out the things that are not working for you, right? Absolutely. Well, Mega, so what's next for the brand? What's yeah. ahead? How can we support you? Oh, Tell you. us all the things that are coming. Yeah. You know, my number one priority is to take this company mainstream. Okay. Right. A lot of people think that South Asian fashion is for weddings and it's all boxed into like Diwali or an Indian wedding. And my goal is to break that taboo. 
I think that South Asian embroidery fashion is absolutely, it, it is such beautiful work. The artisans that create our designs, they've been doing this type of work for centuries. It's mm. passed down from generation to generation. And I want to tell that story to the world oh. through my brand. I want it to be on the shelves of Nordstrom permanently. We, we had the opportunity to be there for, a few, for a Diwali pop-up. But my goal was to really take that opportunity to see if this is actually something that's scalable. And the lesson from there was it is. Right. There were people from all backgrounds, all nationalities buying this fashion, wearing it with pride, sharing their photos with me. So I know that there's something there and I know that that's something that can totally be scaled. I love it. Well, I I hope that, too. I hope that for my daughters <laughs> as well, because I want them to also feel their heritage in what they wear and in brands that they see. So thank you for the work that you're doing you. and and sharing this artistry with the world. It definitely is. It is very holy chic. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today at CEO School. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.